Hi, welcome to episode 4 of my radio show and podcast, Spirit Chaser. This is actually part 1 of a couple of special episodes covering more extreme music, well, let's call it metal, which, despite being relatively absent from my regular show, has always been, and still is, a very significant part of my musical universe, so in my mind at least, it made perfect sense to include it here at some point. As they say, once a metalhead, always a metalhead, and I think that's absolutely true. And even though my musical interests have spread far and wide over the last few decades, there's something undeniably unique and appealing, some sort of palpable force that emanates from metal music that keeps pulling us back to it, and it will never let go. So, here we are. These two episodes are also different in the sense that I'm doing these in English for the first time, And the fact that we're all confined to our homes at the moment means that I'm not doing the radio show per se, so that allows me some extra freedom to experiment with the format, and who knows, maybe I'll be able to reach a wider audience as well. That said, I sincerely hope you're all well, health-wise, and, well, I hope you enjoy these. Today's episode is titled Bizarre Flowers, and I'll be focusing on the doom, death and industrial side of things, And the next one will be called A Violent Mist, and there I'll be delving deeper into the colder sounds of black metal. Admittedly, this is an extremely short selection of tracks from a catalogue of epic proportions that I could pick from, but I'm mainly trying to present a portrait of where my mind was at in terms of extreme music during the 90s and early 2000s in particular. So, we open today's show with the first couple of tracks from As the Flower Withers, the debut album by Yorkshire-based doom metalers My Dying Bride, released in 1992. Namely, we heard the intro, Silent Dance, followed by that monster of a track, CME, which the band would re-record twice more in subsequent releases and in quite different styles. But for me, this is the one. It's beautiful and brutal, and Aaron Stainthorpe's growls, some of the finest in metal in my opinion, give it this menacing vibe that is somewhat lacking in later versions. But they're all brilliant nonetheless. My Dying Bride would go on to experiment quite a lot with their sound throughout the 90s, but later returned, and that's true to this day, to a style that has more in common with what we've heard here today, Although, naturally, with the sophistication that a few decades mastering their blend of doom and death metal would provide. In any case, and whilst it could do with some better production, I still consider As the Flower Withers a landmark release for Hammy's Peaceful Records, and certainly the one that turned me into a My Dying Bride fan for life. Next up, and speaking of landmark releases, this one definitely takes up a very special place in my heart and was for me a sort of watershed moment when I clearly realized that metal music would henceforth tread paths that I had never quite anticipated. The stellar fusion of psychedelic and Floydian textures with a sound that had its basis on so-called gothic metal makes Tiamat's Wild Honey a one-of-a-kind record, one that has probably never been equaled, but has undeniably influenced pretty much everything that came after. A drug-infused concept album and arguably mastermind Johan Edlund's crowning achievement, Wild Honey set the tone for much of the experimentation led by metal bands in the later half of the 90s and is generally considered one of the finest recordings of its kind. And as difficult as it is to take only a small part of something that should always be listened to as a whole, 
um, I had to pick something. And so I've decided to start from the very beginning and bring here the first trio of songs comprised by the intro Wild Honey, followed by Whatever That Hurts, and finally DR. So here's Tiamat, circa 1994, with their masterpiece Wild Honey.
That was Tiamat from Sweden, an excerpt from 1994's paradigm-changing Wild Honey. More or less around the same time, a Finnish band called The Morphis released another extraordinary album that, whilst not as earth-shattering in terms of its influence, was undeniably fresh and original enough to cause quite a stir and catapulted this relatively unknown band at the time to worldwide acclaim. I'm talking obviously about their second album, Tales from the Thousand Lakes, another conceptual work whose lyrics are based on the Finnish national epic Kalevala. This album, despite being predominantly death metal, shows a very melodic and progressive influence and is notable for its fusion with traditional Finnish folk music, something Amorphis would explore even deeper in later releases. The first track I heard from the album in July of 94 was Drown Mate, and I was instantly hooked and intrigued, but it was a little track called Black Winter Day that inevitably became the staple of their long and ongoing career, and that's the one we're gonna hear now. So here's Black Winter Day from Amorphis Tales from the Thousand Lakes.
That was Black Winter Day from Amorphis' fantastic Tales from the Thousand Lakes. And it's now time to hear one of my favourite classic death metal bands. From Coventry, England, the amazing and dearly missed Bull Thrower. There have been occasional reunion rumours after the death of their drummer, Martin Keynes, the event that led to the end of the band, but there hasn't been any official confirmation as of yet, so I'm not putting much faith in that. Eternally fascinated with the themes of war, throughout their 30-year career, Bolt Thrower were one of the most consistent and consistently brilliant death metal bands, and I've loved them since I first listened to The Fourth Crusade in early 93. Masters of an unmistakable and relentless artillery-like barrage of sound, their 1994 release for Victory is arguably their finest hour, and the title track itself, which ends with a quote from Lawrence Binion's Oath of Remembrance, is a perfect encapsulation of what Bolt Thrower was all about. So, let's hear it. This is For Victory.
victory by England's ball thrower. At some point in their career, vocalist Carl Willits was temporarily replaced by Dave Ingram, who had been the frontman of another British death metal band from Birmingham called Benediction. Also interestingly, the original vocalist for Benediction was none other than Barney Greenway, who would then make quite a name for himself with Napalm Death. They're going to be featuring a little later in the show, but before that, let's hear an amazing cover that Benediction recorded for their 1992 EP, Dark is the Season, for which they got Barney Greenway back to handle vocals. It's called Forged in Fire, and it's an original by Anvil, which I admit I have never heard, and probably never will, because this cover is just superb, and I won't have it any other way. So here's Benediction with Forged in Fire. Oh, 
Birmingham's benediction and their monstrous cover of Anvils Forged in Fire, with Napalm Dad's Barney Greenway on vocals. The next band was an early pioneer of Scandinavian death metal, which at some point in the early to mid-90s evolved their sound to incorporate all sorts of hard rock and heavy metal influences whilst keeping with the death metal stylings which resulted in something quite unique that was often referred to as death and roll. They're from Stockholm, Sweden, and they're called Entombed, and the album that marked that shift in sound is now considered a classic of early 90s death metal. I'm talking, obviously, about Wolverine Blues, released in late 93, which concentrates in its paltry 35 minutes of duration one of the greatest collections of mid-tempo groove metal songs I've ever heard. So, without further ado, let's hear Full of Hell from Wolverine Blues, The Amazing Entombed. Let's go. 
that was Entombed from Sweden and the track Full of Hell from their now classic album Wolverine Blues. And as promised earlier, it's now time to hear grindcore pioneers Napalm Death from Meriden, England. Inspired by the early wave of punk bands and turning up the dials of aggression, high speed and distortion to whole new levels, they were vastly influential to many extreme metal bands that followed. Whilst none of the original members that formed Napalm Death in 1981 remain in the group, the classic lineup of Barney Greenway, Shane Embry, Mitch Harris, Danny Herrera and Jesse Pintado has stayed pretty much unchanged from the early 90s to the present day, with the sole exception of Pintado who passed away in 2006 and has never been replaced. In the mid-90s and following a trend we already kind of noticed here, Napalm Death went through a stylistic transition that saw them slow down their pace considerably and incorporate elements of groove in their sound, whilst maintaining the complex structure of their prior work. The album that first showcased this new approach was 1994's Fear, Emptiness, Despair, and it remains to this day my favourite album of theirs, even if strangely the band sees it as one of their least satisfying moments. I believe that had to do with the troubled relationship between the band members at the time when it was recorded, but as often happens, animosity can be a harbinger of great art, and that certainly is the case here in my opinion. So let's hear Hung from Fear, Emptiness, Despair. This is Napalm Death, circa 1994. <laughs> And I'm the one to end 
was Napalm Death with a track of their 1994 release Fear, Emptiness, Despair. Another band that dabbled in the grindcore genre in the early days, or in their case the more appropriately named Gore Grind, was Liverpool's Carcass, who later developed their sound into a very sophisticated and intricate kind of melodic death metal and were also an enormous influence to many acts that followed. Their breakthrough album was a late 93 release named Heartwork, where they fused in a brilliant manner the brutality of their earlier material with a melodic sensibility of new wave of British heavy metal bands like Iron Maiden and Saxon. Shedding away some of the gory aspects of their image and lyrics and featuring very inspired songwriting, Heartwork is still to this day one of metal's finest records. Its title track in particular is emblematic of Carcass's mastery of their very own blend of melodic death metal and clearly showcases the incredible synergy between Bill Steer, Jeff Walker, Mike Amott and Ken Owen. It's that track precisely that I want to bring here today, so here's Carcass and hard work.
track by Liverpool's Carcass that was hard work. And of course we couldn't be doing a show about death metal without including the band that arguably gave birth to the genre itself back in 1987 with their debut album Scream Bloody Gore. I'm talking obviously about the band rather appropriately named Death. Founded in 83 by Chuck Schuldiner in Orlando, Florida, Death was one of the most influential bands of all time in heavy metal music and the sheer level of technical proficiency and creativity they achieved, particularly in their later era, makes for some of the most adventurous and rewarding listens amongst the genre. Chuck Schuldiner sadly passed away in 2001 at the early age of 34, after having been diagnosed with brain cancer a couple of years prior. 
It was one of Mattel's and music's greatest losses, and his legacy and his genius is still revered to this day, and certainly will be for a long time to come. Opinions may differ greatly here, but the album that I consider to be Death's masterpiece is 1995's Symbolic. For me, this is as close to flawless as it gets, and listening to it today, 25 years later, still leaves me in absolute awe of Schuldiner's talent and that of the musicians that helped him record this album, of course, namely the great Gene Oglin on drums. Sadly, I never got to see them live, and they played in Portugal precisely on this tour, so that's certainly one of my biggest regrets. Anyway, let's hear 1000 Eyes from Symbolic, a rather prophetic song, if I may say, regarding the age of mass surveillance that we're living in, and where privacy and intimacy, as we know it, will be a memory. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chuck Schuldiner. Side. 
The Mighty Death from Florida, US. That was 1000 Eyes, just one amongst many incredible compositions from the mind of a genius called Chuck Schuldiner, who left us too damn soon. We're getting close to the end of part one of this metal extravaganza, and I couldn't finish without touching upon a subgenre that flourished in exciting ways during that same period we're exploring here industrial metal. And there was one band in particular which in 95 came up with an album that marked the shift into something far more ambitious and greater than anything they had hinted at before. That band was Fear Factory and the album was called The Manufacture. Fusing death metal with the machine-like rhythms of industrial acts like Ministry or Nine Inch Nails and adding sprinkles of melodic clean singing here and there Fear Factory created something quite unique with the manufacture and it became the template for the remainder of their career and an influence to many other bands like Machine Head, Slipknot or Static X. With a very refined production that allows the electronic touches combined with the precise musicianship of Dino Cazares and Raymond Herrera to shine through, the songs take on a cold, clinical, futuristic feel and Burton Seabell's innovative singing style is the proverbial cherry on top of a nearly flawless album. The Manufacture is a concept album about a man's struggles against a machine-controlled government, with each song being a chapter in his life. The band has stated that the album took its inspiration from the movie The Terminator, and the track we're gonna hear features precisely an opening sample from Terminator 2. It's one of my favorite tracks from the album, and it's called Zero Signal. So here's Fear Factory.
Fear Factory with the extraordinary Zero Signal from their 1995 landmark release, The Manufacture. And we're going to end today with one of the main influences and arguably one of the pioneers of industrial metal, the aforementioned Ministry. Some of you may be wondering what on earth is Ministry doing in the midst of all this, but for me the reasons are very clear. Originally a synth-pop outfit, they soon evolved into a sound that got heavier and heavier and became, as I said, one of the pioneers of what we now call industrial metal. With a career spanning nearly four decades, they influenced everyone on this side of heavy music and certainly deserve a place in my short retrospective. I got into them around the time of their fifth studio album, Psalm 69, subtitled The Way to Succeed and The Way to Suck Eggs, released in July of 92. With lyrics exploring social, political and religious topics, it features at least three tracks that became staples of their career and are amongst the most recognizable within the genre. Jesus Built My Heart Rod, NWO and Just One Fix. The latter has perhaps one of the greatest riffs of all time and it's my somewhat obvious choice to end the show today. So I'll say goodbye for now and I'll be back very soon with a second of these special episodes of Spirit Chaser. Until then, here's Ministry and Just One Fix. Junk.